Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He plays. Oh, he's going to Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. Find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB and become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Well, over here we got Ishmael Johnson. Ish, how you doing? Hey man, another week getting closer. <sighs> getting real close, getting real, real close. And over there we got Mallory Hartley. Mallory, what's up? Nothing much, just doing the producer things. <laughs> Just like hitting buttons and hitting yeah. buttons, knobs. making us sound good. You know, <laughs> yeah, just you know. my job. Just doing my job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just hit the on button, right? And that's all you have to do, right? That's that's all it entails. <laughs> yes, as of this week. Next week may be a little different. Uh, if I'm teasing something, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Gonna get real interesting. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much to, uh, to everybody for joining us once again. We are continuing on with our series on uh, on college football previews this week. We're going to talk about Baylor and TCU today. But first, uh, we do have to address, of course, that's to be this episode, right? Uh, the Baylor episode. <laughs> yeah. Today, the NCAA released their sort of finding a fact of this Title IX investigation that's gone on since 2016, since basically... I was a student at Baylor. Mm-hmm. It's been a, a real long time, let's say. And Shahan, what did that comprehensive investigation find out today after years yeah. of <laughs> investigating? Well, I like to call this the North Carolina, mm-hmm. which is to say they said this was bad. And also, we don't have rules for this. Yep. And also, anybody could have benefited from this, not just athletes, which is actually a way worse admission. Right. That like... It didn't matter who committed the crimes that right. they were bad at it. Uh, yeah, not not ideal. Not ideal. Now, from a pure athletic football perspective, what it means is there are some short-term uh, there are some short-term penalties that apply to recruiting, not because of the big stuff, mm-hmm. because they found out that once a player cheated on a quiz, and also they said that the the way that they had their host system set up was a little skeevy, which, yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Um, in terms of hosting recruits on football visits, it, it's I, I think that, again, that does not surprise me that they primarily had female hosts hosting football mm-hmm. players. I don't, not to trivialize it, I don't think that that part of things is unique to Baylor. Right. Um, but within the context of the bigger culture, listen, if you needed to find something to punish them for, I have no problem with it. Uh, yeah, just a, just a weird deal because it's hard to tell what this is supposed to mean. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the NCAA should have just been like two years ago, three years ago, five right. years Why ago. Right, why did it take them this right. long? Yeah. They, they, just five years ago, they should have been like, this is not our business. Right. Just said that at the Something beginning. not within our jurisdiction. But when that's, you put, not, that, that's what they admitted in the statement. Right. right. Because when you put together a five-year investigation, yeah. That assumes that you're investigating things, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and if you're just kind of at the end of it going to be like, well, they told us all the stuff that happened and we all agreed on what happened and nobody disputed it. And we just were like, that ain't none of our business. Mm-hmm. That what was this? You know, what, what right. was the point of this? Yeah, I, I was looking at the, I read, read, I read the statement and the, mm-hmm. the, the big piece that everybody's kind of looking at is this one right here. Uh, Baylor admitted to moral and ethical failings in its handling of the sexual interpersonal violence on campus, but argued those failings, however egregious, did not constitute violations of NCAA rules. Ultimately, with tremendous tremendous reluctance, this panel agrees, which is basically what you said. We don't have rules to to legislate this or to really to, to actually punish this, and we can't do anything. And basically what it what it. What it shows is, one, the limits and the failings of the NCAA, yes. I think, as an institution. And it shows that, I mean, it's it, this was designed to basically for them to 
in a way, I guess, say they looked into it. Sure. And just to be like, yeah, we can't do anything, but we looked into it, right? Because like this is something that's gonna, you know, in a, in a, hopefully, you know, where this comes down is actual law and actual, you know, case yes. court and things like that, <laughs> uh, which yes. the NCAA doesn't, you know, is not a part of. But ultimately, I think this is just the NCAA washing their hands clean of saying, well, look, we looked into it. There's nothing we can do about it. Here you go. Uh, what are we gonna do? And in a way, it w- the NCAA worked as it's designed to work, right? As I'm not saying that's good <laughs> that it's designed to not legislate these things or not have a hand or um, uh, any authority or power in these things. But it did. It is designed to kind of stay away from these type of situations. And I want to be very clear about one thing: the NCAA's job is to be sports police. Yes, and Baylor getting recruiting penalties and getting a bowl ban mm-hmm. would not have represented any kind of justice for what happened. Right. And I, I think that because college sports are so visible and because there were parts of this that were certainly in the pursuit of success in college sports, mm-hmm. we go back to that over and over again. But this is bigger than college sports. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is about, you know, I think sometimes we look at the it's word. about campus life. This is about campus right. li- livelihood and, right. like, you know, comfortability and safety. Like, right. Yeah. We look at the word college sports. Right. And we focus so much on the sports part of that phrase. But it is college. And this is actually, this goes back to, I mean, a, a bigger conversation that we probably don't need to get into. Just about sort of the 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 decisions that colleges make by having semi-professional sports on campus Mm -hmm. and and having this thing that's this giant money-making venture that doesn't necessarily i don't want to say benefit the school sure but kind of doesn't benefit the school right and and so that's difficult i i think that these are the moments when that sort of stuff comes to light that hey this isn't just about this football team this is about this person went to class and interacted with the student and mm-hmm. things happened, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that, again, I, I understand why people would have wanted them to come down hard, well, but this was never going to happen. I do want to say, I think the precedent that set this up was I think the NCAA realized that it made a mistake in handling the Penn State situation. A hundred percent. Because the Penn State situation, again, a criminal matter that shouldn't have been Ultimately, the people that paid the price for Penn State were not the people that, yep. you know, obviously Sandusky was obviously eventually sent to prison. But yep. in the moment, the most visible uh, people that were punished were the players. Yes. Right. And so ultimately, you had to see the players take a big burden of what they had, no, like literally it happened 10 years before right. they were even stepped foot on that campus. And they had to pay the price. They are the ones that had the bowl ban. They're the ones that had to deal with, you know, that first season. Um was was you know awful for those players yeah. right they they really they were not up to match against any of that that schedule that they were up against um but they had to stick it out and they had to deal with the punishment i think the nc so people are going to bring up that right i think this is the ncaa saying that we messed up with that in the way we handled mm-hmm. that that should have been something that was purely handled in criminal court and what ultimately was um and they should not have it was not a sports issue that's a criminal a legal issue that should have been taken care of. And I don't want to get too inside baseball with this in terms of how media should or shouldn't handle it, right? Mm-hmm. But it is – I just got off a press conference with the university president at Baylor and the athletic director at Baylor, right? Mm-hmm. And all these sports media people were here, right? I do think that it is a little weird. I, I do think that we as reporters, as sports media, do need to be prepared to talk about these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But I do also think that – we expect a lot out of people like us mm-hmm. who day to day do not do this. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's idiots like me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm trying to like obviously through this whole process. I was a student at Baylor at the time that all this is happening. Right. This is all right. very important to me to make, you know, to make sure that this is handled correctly. And so I try to approach it in that way. But we're kind of relying on on idiots like me who mostly talk about, hey, how's UTEP going to be this year? Right. To adjudicate and report on and basically be a part-time paralegal right right Right. there's nothing that that really really you know prepares us for this kind of situation how to cover it the right way to cover it and it's still an awkward conversation yes and there are people who do this full-time right Mm. and there are reporters whose jobs are to deal with crime Mm -hmm. higher education institutional issues and obviously sports media gets more attention 
because it's sports media and people love reading about it and people care about it. Mm -hmm. And I do think that ESPN actually does a decent job by having like a separate legal and that kind of deal. Like, you know, people who do investigate somebody come on. Yes. It's more attuned to that. Right. And I think that makes a lot more sense, but like, People looking at the Waco trip, Baylor football beat writer to write about the story, like right. you know, no hate, but like, of course he doesn't know what he's mm-hmm. what he's doing right. in, in this kind of case. If, yeah. Of course, I mean, even with me, I look back all the time. I was a student at the time when all this stuff started coming uh, started coming out. I was a student reporter covering it. Like, of course, I didn't know what I was doing, and I'm somebody who cares about trying yeah. to get this stuff right. right. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that part of this is we need to be open to the idea that sports stories are news stories Mm -hmm. and let news reporters also play a role. Now, sports reporters need to be cognizant. We saw this a a little while back with the Houston Chronicle, right, where Mm -hmm. the sports reporter covering the Houston Texans wrote a story about the Deshaun Watson case in a way that he was was not prepared to write. Right. And it ended up costing him his job, Mm -hmm. but it's because he didn't know what he was doing. He was put in a position to fail. Right. And so – Again, that's a little. This is all a little inside baseball, but I do think that it's important to kind of ask those questions of ourselves mm-hmm. as sports media, as media at large, of how can we do better in dealing with these situations. And the answer just might be, let's not ask. I, I mean, you know, to, to to shift the blame from just my school for a second <laughs> to uh, you know, let's not ask the Penn State beat writer uh, who covers football to write about Jerry Sandusky. Mm-hmm. Right. right? They they probably aren't prepared to do so. Sure. Well, we're not going to jump into Baylor from that because that that'd be a weird transition. We, we need to be. we need to sit with this for a second. Yeah. Uh, this is still a weird transition, just to be clear. In fact, let's let's have a short little buffer. Okay. It is NCAA related, though. Mm. The NCAA did name a committee to put together a new constitutional convention, which is not the kind of phrase that you expect to hear in sports all that often. <laughs> but here we go. It's a party. Or frankly, this country. But you know, party like it's 1787, I guess, <laughs> uh, with, with a new, you know, maybe we can do it in Philadelphia. It'll be great. Sure. I don't, I don't know, man. We'll throw back. <laughs> Wear some wigs. <laughs> white wigs. <laughs> um, so I'm curious for both of you guys. Ish, let's start with you. What, what do you think the next step should look like for the NCAA. Obviously, the last couple of months, last couple of years, even Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, who gets yeah. paid $3 million to know what the NCAA does, basically says, our institution is outdated. So when when the people in the room are saying that, <clears throat> right. you know, what is the future? Oh, man. Honestly, like, it's hard for me because as I've openly been someone who feels that I think the federal government should have a have a role in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the NCAA is very archaic, and I'm glad that they realize that. Yes, <laughs> but I'm try- I do. I honestly do not know what their next role is because they seem to. I think what's going to come out. The big thing that's going to come out of this one, I think, yes. is there's going to be language on NIL. Very hard language on branding, on um, player compensation, because right now it's just kind of like the thing that's floating in the ether that the NCAA can't re- isn't really touching, and you know just kind of lets the states kind of handle it and the programs handle it on their own, and they're just kind of like ah you know yeah it's there we can't really do anything. I think there's gonna be harder language on that that let's because because right I th- I think. I don't know what it's going to be exactly, but we talked about a lot of the gray area with the NIL rules right now, and it's kind of like I hate the phrase "wild west" because there's like a, it seems like a pejorative, but I don't mean it in that way. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of like you know free for all right now. It's like as far as your branding goes, I think the NCAA is going to try to get a hold of that because they know that it's a thing that they can't, they couldn't beat. Right. The the, the Pandora's box is open as far as that's concerned. But I do think they are going to try to get a hold of that somehow and put that somehow under their jurisdiction. And I wonder how, because again, that's a, that's a state and federal thing that NIL is now passed, right? With California being one of the first states that passed it and things like that. This branding thing started as a legislation. And so I wonder how the NCAA tries to put that under its watch. Yeah. I, I think for me, just real quick to close this out, I want this to, I want the NCAA to play a role as being, not, I, 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 don't expect it to go as far as collective bargaining, but mm-hmm. 
I want them to be an advocate for the student athlete, mm-hmm. right? I want them to be an advocate so that for their well-being, I want them to be an advocate for. So with these NIL deals that they don't get screwed, right. you know, that yeah. they have some protection. Right. Uh, and, and I think that that's the biggest role that they could play that could benefit them, right? They shouldn't be worried about cream cheese on a bagel, right? right, we're, right. we're past that. That's right. over. <laughs> you know, we've moved on. But I do think that trying to make sure that facilities are up to snuff, make sure that uh, maybe heading forward, right, advocating for long-term health care. That's mm. something that we've talked about, right, uh, with, with former athletes. And so that's what I would love to see them become. We'll see if that ends up happening. But uh, but I think that definitely that's the role heading forward that I like to see them play is sort of a, a full-throated advocate of making sure that athletes are getting support basically mm-hmm. from from schools let's go ahead and move on so the tcu horn frogs mm-hmm. let's start with them okay sure. finished six and four last season gary patterson's i believe 21st season as a head coach uh nobody else in this state has anywhere <laughs> anything like that <laughs> uh but 21 years as a head coach they went six and four they ended up winning four of their last five games to close the season ish what is your first burning question about tcu Ooh. I think you're going to like this one. Okay. And shout out to uh, our friend Parker at Stats of War. Will Shahan give Max Duggan a chance? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I was doing some digging on TC's offense last year. And, of course, it was always the – it was more or less – we talked about the backfield. We talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, the the kind of potential they have at the skill positions. But it always came back to Max Duggan in the end, right? Yeah, yeah. I was looking into – uh, how they struggled and why they struggled. And as much as I think we blamed a lot of Max Duggan's subpar play at times, I think it was a little too much because I'm looking right now. In November, Max Duggan was the third highest graded rushing quarterback. In December, he, he I believe, just behind Desmond Ritter, was the second had the second most rushing touchdowns of any quarterback. TCU's offensive line play... <laughs> Was atrocious, yeah. particularly their passing uh, offensive line play. Do you know where TCU ranked in standard sack rate? <laughs> High. <laughs> 99th. Oh, my gosh. Do you know where they ranked in passing down sack rate? High. 84th. <laughs> and they were 100th in standard down sack rate. Max Duggan, <laughs> I think, with an average offensive line, I think could be potentially, not saying he will, not saying potentially be a second team all Big 12 quarterback. I really do think that because I think he, I think this year is the year, and it goes into another question that I'll probably save for later, but um, I think he has the tools to where we will know if they have an average offensive line. I think we'll know this year whether Max Duggan is a good quarterback or not. I think he has shown the flashes to be. I just don't think he's had the tools around him that have put him in the best position to be. And to mention, he's had more of an offseason this year. He's finally yeah. had yes. an offseason. That yes. is that's that a is big key. Great point. That it's, is a great it's, point. It's a big deal. So I do want to be clear about when I talk about Max Duggan yes. and when I talk about production, it is an analog for the TCU passing game, right? Sure, it's sure. not just that I don't think that Max Duggan, just as a man, I don't think this is a reflection oh, on sure. him, right? Yes. <laughs> um, what I will say is, a phrase that you said there, if Max Duggan has just an average offensive line, is he transferring? <laughs> is, is, where, where's he playing this year? I, that's, a, that's a great question. Hey, if Max Duggan has a second guy at wide receiver, maybe he'll be great. Yeah. Can't wait for him to find one. Right. And that's the big thing for me. What You mentioned second team all Big 12 as, mm-hmm. as being like what an, a high upside type for uh, up season for Max Duggan would be. The issue for me isn't that I don't think Max Duggan can do it. And the reason that I, you know, we kind of ended up putting Tyler Shuck first team, mm-hmm. uh, All-Texas College, was not because I don't think that Max Duggan's talented. Mm-hmm. It was very simply because I don't think he has those pieces. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great receiver in Quentin Johnston, uh, who's only going to get better. Great deep threat. Uh, but there's a reason that you, the first thing that you mentioned about Max Duggan is he can run for his life, right? Like. Mm-hmm. It's it's cool mm-hmm. that uh, you know I'm I'm trying to think of of a cor- you know a, an equivalent quarterback who primarily is known for rushing right but like yeah. that's the thing I don't know if the pass game is going to come along because I don't know if they're going to protect a lot better mm-hmm. I, I do like the transfer that they brought in Obena Easy I, I think that he's a good player uh, I don't know if he's a game changing best you know 
brand new player. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are getting older. That'll help. I don't know if that's changing everything about that offense. And at receiver, again, you've got QJ, and you've got a bunch of guys who you're also waiting to either be good or be healthy, and neither of those things have happened. If J.D. Spielman is 100% healthy, I think that that does change things. If Tay Barber can stay 100% healthy, I think that changes things. That's not something we've seen at this point. And so I think that the the best version of TCU's offense is the offense where Max Duggan has to throw the least, and that's... That's my concern, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. If, if TCU is good, it likely means that Max Duggan didn't have to throw. And so for me, I look at Ashek, who's obviously the world's going to be on his shoulders. I look at Casey Thompson, who obviously has a lot of weapons to work with. Mm-hmm. I look at Spencer Sanders, who I think is just at this point more talented than Max Duggan and also has weapons. I just don't see it, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think this team can be very good and Max Duggan be fine. Right. But I don't know that I see... So when you ask... Will I give him a chance? Yes. My expectations are just very tempered for what he needs to be sure. and what I expect from that offense. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> okay. Let's go on to my question. So now that TCU has a pair of really good defensive ends, is mm-hmm. that enough to offset what they lost in the secondary? I'd say so. Yeah. Because, one, it's the – Gary Patterson, four two five, just he knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but also, I mean, Hodges Tomlinson and Daniels, I think, are very much good enough. I don't know if we'll get the ceiling that we got last year with uh, Morgan uh, or Merrick in Washington, but I think they're pretty damn good regardless. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know. I think it will be fine, and I think that. They're going to – what they lost in terms of top-end product maybe from their secondary last year, I think they replace with a better pass rush this year. Yeah. I think that they're not – that was one of the things last year was that, you know, we talked about TCU not having that elite edge rush threat as previous years. And in a way, luckily, they had the secondary that they did because it didn't really bother them that much. I think this year – they might have gone a tick down in the secondary. I still think they'll be really good, but maybe a tick down – but their pass rush gets better, so they're not sure. going to be hung out to dry a lot uh, as much as they were last year. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. Um, the thing that I'll point to in their secondary is they're going to be worse at safety. Yes. But they they could potentially be a lot better at cornerback just mm-hmm. with those guys getting older. Yes. Um, I think that they have four or five guys. They've got a guy in TJ Carter at safety coming in from Memphis mm-hmm. who is likely going to, to transition into that Merrick role at free safety. They like Deshaun McEwen a lot. That's a name I've been hearing a lot from their camp. So – I do think that they have the guys. Now, Merrick is one of the best safeties to come through TCU. Right. You know, I mean, if he wasn't if he wasn't hurt, then maybe he's a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kills me that our Darius Washington left to go undrafted. Um, I, I know that everybody has to make their decisions that are best for them. Sure. And I think that, that might have been the best decision for him, just financially. But, man, it would have been nice to have him back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he could have helped that defense a lot. But when you look at that defensive line, I mean, it's been – since 2017 since they were in the big 12 title game since they've had four good defensive linemen Mm -hmm. and i think that this year they have four i was about to say they i mean like by far the best defensive line in the conference yeah by far um and like when you look at the country like they're gonna be up there in terms of like Mm -hmm. solid four across the board yeah no question and and so you're talking Kyrie coleman and oshan mathis at, at those defensive ends i don't know how Kyrie coleman came in from like mid-level Louisiana high school ball to all of a sudden being awesome as a true freshman. But, you know, Gary just finds these freaking dudes. And Corey Bethley and Kenny Turnier, I believe. Uh, Yeah, and then Terrell Cooper's also Terrell Cooper, yes, that's true. So you got all three of them. I think Turnier's going to factor in as well. And so, you know, the the fact that you got that many guys Mm -hmm. to just throw in there and make something happen, not a bad place to be. Right. All right. Do you have another one, or I, I've got another one if you don't? Uh, let's save your two for Baylor, because I know you got questions for <laughs> Baylor. Uh, okay. Or did Mallory have one? I could ask one. Go for it. Go okay. for it. I don't know if this is a, a burning question. It's one of my burning questions. Go but for it. it seems like they TCU as a whole just really has the pieces to be a really good team this year. But do they have enough to really be a contender for the Big 12 title spot this year? I think they do. Yeah, like obviously we have a, this we year, have them going nine and three. Yeah, yep, yeah. So I th- I think outside of Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma's in its own category. I think Oklahoma's mm-hmm. 
probably the best in terms of preseason uh, mm-hmm. outlook, I think is the best team in the country in terms of returning production. So they're in their own little class. Number two isn't clear cut. I think you could, mm-hmm. there's, there's some I good agree. teams that I feel better I think about. It is. I, I think, I think there's some teams mm-hmm. you could talk me into more than others, but that's I, a good way to put it. <laughs> I would not be surprised if a t- like in a good year, there's always, there's always a team that, you know, we project to be good and they might be great, right? There's always a team that we project to be average. They turn out to be good. It would not stun me to see TCU November. We're like, they're gunning for that too. We'll see what happens. I'm look, I'll have to look at their schedule, but it would not looking at the pieces they have. And again, offensive line pending. That's a big red flag, but looking elsewhere. And this kind of goes into my question that I, that I had. Um, so this is actually, that was actually a very good one. It's a lot of with TCU. It's been a lot of ifs mm-hmm. and not a lot of wins. Mm-hmm. They have the talent this year. I think to finally, to not, to have a tempered expectation that this could be a win year. Mm-hmm. Sure. Looking, so, just yeah. looking at their schedule, too, a lot of these games could go either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of them could go. You, you just don't know. It could be a toss-up. Now, I feel like Shahan's about to just absolutely <laughs> He's answering in his chair that. over there. <laughs> no, <laughs> He's no, like, so, I'm ready to talk. <laughs> so here's the deal. I, I do think that – I think there's a clear one. Oklahoma yes. is a clear one. Uh-huh. Yes. I mean, I, I'll tell you what. Back in 2017, I think it was, Mason mm-hmm. Rudolph's senior year, I was like, you know what? They can't win every year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick Oklahoma State. I think they have a lot coming back. They've got a you know Blitnikoff winner at receiver. They've got a great quarterback, and that went very poorly for me. Right. And mm-hmm. so now I just I write in Oklahoma at one, and I write in Kansas at ten, and then I start my ballot. <laughs> right. right? Yes. That's just how it works. Yeah. Um, and then I do think Iowa State is too. Iowa State Fair. is. Iowa State okay. did the thing where they were awesome, and then ran back the what if we had all our players back play. Right. It's a good play. I yeah. don't know why more teams don't run it. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I still think that they're a clear number two to me in terms of projection. That's not to say that they're not beatable. I think right. that Oklahoma is relatively unbeatable. I think that Iowa State is relatively beatable. Mm-hmm. And I do think that at three, which is right on the doorstep of mm-hmm. the Big 12 title game, you know, in a place where it, it, it does just depend what happens, right? Uh, what ball goes your way? What ball bounces this way? I think TCU is arguably three. Oklahoma State will be in that conversation. Texas will be in that conversation. There's a lot of teams that will be in that conversation. I mean, honestly, for me, any team finishing three through nine wouldn't surprise me that much. Mm -hmm. I I think the Big 12 is that close this year past those top two. Sure. And so are they good enough to get to the Big 12 title game? I do think so. Mm -hmm. I, I do think so. You mentioned need to get at least some consistency on the offensive line. I think you do need to develop a second and a third receiver that's consistently there you know mm-hmm. qj is going to be there but there's a reason that they didn't get him the ball much and that's because nobody else kind of freed him up sure sure and then uh and then of course they need to continue being uh you know developing that running game and and just to close out with this i mean my one question that that i was going to ask if nobody else did was they won four of their last five games how much of that was getting better and how much mm-hmm. of that was the schedule got a lot easier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a combination. I, I don't know that the offensive line growth over those last five games is is the biggest factor. Right. Because they played against West Virginia and they scored six points. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know if that's the difference. I also think this is a very balanced schedule. Mm-hmm. There's it's not, it's not too hard up front. It's not backloaded. It's very, it's very balanced. Like you yes. wrote, I think you could – you got Duquesne, Cal, SMU, which is not going to be easy, but I, I would still, I think I'll take, I mean, I'll take them over SMU. Um, then you get Texas, mm-hmm. and you get Tech, Yep. and you get Oklahoma, yep. <laughs> West Virginia, Kansas State, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Iowa State. That is a very hot, mm-hmm. cold schedule. <laughs> and, and I do think that that Friday game against Iowa State will probably be for a trip to the Big 12 title sure. game. Sure, I, I could 100% foresee that. And all that said, I can't imagine TCU going into Iowa State, into Ames, on November 26th gonna when be... it's going to be cold outside. Yeah. Although although it's a Friday, it's a Black Friday game. It's only going to be at 3 or 3.30 I was going to say, it's not, it's not night, it's it's not not night names. Yeah, it's night not, names is... Night names is crazy yeah. stuff, man. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just... Iowa State's so experienced and they're sure, so good. Sure, I, sure. I don't know that I can pick it, but the fact that we think that they could be there in that moment, yeah, that's more than good enough. I think we've been waiting for this turnaround year for a while mm-hmm. from TCU and Gary Patterson because we've we've given him the benefit of the doubt, right? Mm-hmm. It's like ah, it's 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 
coming, right? It's going to be happening, right? And I think this is the year where you say, like, okay, here's what he's been trying to get to the past two, three years. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, we are the Republic of Football Podcast. Find all of our stuff at textfootball.com. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back after this. Mallory Hartley, Dave Campbell's Texas Football and TexasFootball.com here with Iowa State defensive back Mr. Greg Eisworth II. Greg, first of all, we got to start off with the obvious. You are a Texas high school football product. You've been everywhere. You went to Ole Miss, JUCO, now you're at Iowa State. So you've kind of experienced how high school football is played outside of the state of Texas. So what makes Texas high school football so special? Oh man, well for one it's the competitiveness. Uh, the attention that's brought to it, you know, I think back to playoff games and when I was in high school, you got 30,000 fans, right? And, you know, some colleges don't even get that much attendance, right? So uh, I think it's that. I think it's the talent that we breed here uh, and just, just the intensity and so much funding that goes into Texas high school football. It really is like the epitome of what Texas is, is high school football. And, and, and kind of speaking of, you know, you mentioned 30,000 fans in that stadium. Is it going to be kind of nice to have those fans back? And, and even does, does the Big 12 media days kind of give you a sense of normalcy back from all the COVID stuff? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It is kind of just weird walking around here, no mask, shaking hands. I thought about that earlier. I'm like, I'm shaking about 10 people's hands. I'm counting handshakes. But, uh, no, yeah, the excitement is there. You know, we're ready for the fans to be back, and so it should be interesting. And Big 12 Media Day, it's in Arlington, basically your hometown, right? From SGP, how cool is it that you get to kind of come visit your hometown again? Yeah, no, it's awesome. I, I just love being here. You know, I'm always giving Coach Campbell crap about, like, great estate right here when we landed. And, you know, just being able to drive up and down the street and know where I'm at, you know, as, as hometown. So, you know, it always feels good. Absolutely. And last question I got for you, Greg, is what can we expect to see from you and your Cyclones this season? You know, you can – Things you can expect from us is just to give it all we got every game. Uh, we're a team that fights, winning, losing. We're going to give it 100%, and, uh, and that's all I can really tell you. I can't promise wins. Uh, I can't do any of that, but I can tell you that every game we're going to give it all we got. Greg, appreciate your time, and good luck next season. Thank you. Welcome back to the Republic of Football podcast. All right, we're moving on with the Baylor Bears, 2-7 and seven last season in Dave Aranda's first season. Very weird year for a number of reasons. Mally, why don't you start us off? All right. First question I got is who will win the starting quarterback job, which I know after the Brewer era could be kind of kind of shaky. But, you know, we, there's those four underclassmen. Are we going to see more of a rotation between the four or do you think we're going to go with one starting guy? Isha, I want you to start off. So I think this is a two man battle. OK. And I do think this is a Jacob Zeno versus Gary Bannon battle. My heart has been telling me Jacob Zeno. <laughs> But there was a reason why, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Bahannon was listed as the number two mo all of last year. So by the last game, because uh, when Brewer went out against Oklahoma State, mm -hmm. uh, they put in Zeno, even okay. though even though Bohannon was listed, was as, number listed two as the number all two all year. Okay. And then uh, they said internally, Zeno's been our number two for most of the year. So I think one, to answer Mallory's question, I think they will pick one guy. Mm -hmm. um, I think... Obviously, they'll be it'll be flexible. If one of them is turns out to be really rough, they'll sw you know I don't think they'll be really hesitant to pull the pull the pull a starter. But I think they're going to go in with the intention that week one they're going to have the guy that they want to start week twelve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think knowing what Jeff Grimes wants and has a feel for, I think he's going to go want to go with Jacob Zeno. Mm -hmm. I think he wants a bigger arm quarterback. I think he wants somebody who can move, which Bahannon can move as well. But I think he wants the upside that Zeno provides that I don't think Bahannon gives you. And I think he'd like someone who he can work with consistently for a number of years. So that's my thought. I don't know. What are you thinking? So it's funny. I One, I do think that this is a testament to how open this battle is that I, don't, I, I think you could ask 10 people who are around Baylor mm -hmm. and they'd give you a different answer. Right. Uh, the thing that I'll say is that you look at this wide zone offense. It, well, just to go back, this is not the same offensive staff, mm -hmm. right? So that, yes. that elevated Zeno to number two. Right. And actually something I said last year was that, you know, Jacob Zeno was a very good fit for the drop back passing system that Matt Rule had. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he would have done a really good job in a second or third year under Jeff Nixon and Glenn Thomas and, and kind of that stuff, right? But the one thing that I think is a mitigating factor with this is that 
this wide zone offense requires a lot of movement from the quarterback. Mm -hmm. It requires a lot of throwing on the run. And I think that they're trying to give Gary Bohannon every opportunity to win this job, Mm. despite some of his limitations. Sure. Because you mentioned upside. I think that the most upside for this offense in its current state is a guy who can do those things. Mm -hmm. And Jacob Zeno, for how good an arm he's got, he hasn't moved well. Even even just in the pocket, he doesn't move super-duper well. Um, you know, if you can give him a clean pocket, I think that he can step up and make big throws. But when he's had to be on the run, you've seen his his uh, you know his his arm strength, his mm-hmm. accuracy. You've seen it suffer. It's not going as far. And so the other thing too is that you've got an offensive line running a brand new system, so you're gonna have to do a lot of running probably right. because you're gonna be running for your life at times. I do think that this is a three man quarterback battle. Hmm. Okay. I do think that Blake Shapin is going to factor in because I think that Blake Shapin provides the biggest combination of these two guys. Mm. He has a big arm, mm-hmm. which Gary Bohan has a strong arm. He just hasn't been accurate with it. That's sure. been the big issue. Um, he is much more of a freelancer than either of those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd kind of compare it a little more to Charlie Brewer early in his career where he is moving around. He is making things happen. I think it's a bigger arm than Brewer had coming out of high school. And so, that's the hope, right? Is that he can kind of still be a downfield passing threat. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this, this competition is going to come down to one thing. It's going to come down to when he's on the move, can Gary Bohannon accurately make the deep throw? And if the answer is no, I think it's probably Jacob Zeno's job. Mm-hmm. If he comes along, and the fact that they haven't named Zeno the starting quarterback tells me to some extent that they feel like it's coming along. Mm-hmm then I think that, uh, you know, but if it doesn't come along, it's Jacob Zenos. If it does come along enough right. that they feel like they can keep developing it through the first three games, I think it's Gary Bohannon's. Yeah. But, look, I, you have enough guys on the roster that I don't think you have to spare Gary Bohannon's feelings. Sure. And we still kept hearing so much good stuff out of camp. And the other thing, too, uh, one of the things that we, you know, kind of just behind the scenes did hear a little bit is, like, Jacob Zeno's obviously been really good in practice, but we don't feel like he's as reliable as Gary Bohannon. He's not mm-hmm. as professional as Gary Bohannon. He's not doing all the little things the right way. Does that stuff end up mattering? Also, is Jacob Zeno just an older man now who does more of those things better? Right. I, I don't know. I think we're going to figure out. But I would lean Gary Bohannon because it feels like they're trying to give him every opportunity to earn this job. Sure. All right, Ish, go ahead. All right, sticking with that side of the ball. Why? <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> imagine why. So... What does, quote-unquote, fixing this offense look like in year one? Bring in a new offensive coordinator. More importantly, in my opinion, you bring in a new offensive line coach who works with him. Mm -hmm. You have a packed work offensive line. You have a new quarterback. You have no run game. What does, (laughs) if you're Shahan J. Raja, and let's say Baylor wins six, seven games, right? Improvement. What does this offense look like with all of those things you know, all those questions need to be answered, right? Uh, I, we can't expect Jeff Grimes to come out and run the ba- the BYU offense last mm-hmm. year. We can't even really ask them to run a, you know, I mean, it's going to be hard to expect them to run an average rushing offense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what does this offense, in your opinion, look like if things are going well enough to for Baylor to be as moderately improved as we expect them to be? So the first word, uh, and this isn't what it'll look like, but I think that the biggest thing that you expect to see from this offense that you didn't see last year is cohesion. Mm. I think that the run and pass concepts will look much more similar than they did last year, where you know, the way, the way that they try to do it is they try to run the 2019 LSU model, where you have a guy coordinating the pass game and a guy coordinating the run game, and nobody kind of sat back and thought, what if these two things weren't at odds with each other? Right. right? Uh, <laughs> look, the Joe Brady, Steve Ensmaker thing was a once in a lifetime, literally thing. And mm-hmm. I think that Dave Aranda, I, I credit him for recognizing that, that, Oh, <laughs> this just doesn't work this way all the time. Right. Um, but that's the big thing I'll say is that when they run the ball, when they pass the ball, I think it's going to look similar. And, uh, and actually that does kind of get to look, I, I do think going back to the piece that I wrote on Baylor's wide zone offense a while back after I talked to Jeff Grimes, the biggest thing that you say about it is that every play should look similar. And so what that means is that defensively, you're looking at it, and it could turn into a run. It could turn into a pass. You kind of have to ask yourself questions. You have to freeze for a second. And 
And the biggest reason for that is that, um, you know, Dave Aranda told me this is a safety league, the Big 12 is. Mm-hmm. And if we can get the safeties to lean forward, that opens up the deep passing game. So the three concepts that I think that you will probably see most, you will see a lot of side-to-side movement, both in the run and pass game. So there's not going to be play-to-play necessarily a clean pocket where a guy's just standing back there. Uh, you'll see less drop-back passing game, uh, to, to be clear. But you will see more deep passing game. Mm. I think they're going to attack down the field in a way that they didn't last year. And the other thing, too, that I think that you'll see is a lot of option. A lot of, uh, a lot of obviously, these zone rushes, a lot of uh, RPOs. I, I think a lot of just play action in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it's going to look like. It's going to be a lot of trying to get the defense to freeze. And will it work right away? I don't know. But if you are an offense, if you are a college football offense, what you want more than anything is you're just trying to bait the defense into making a mistake while not making a mistake yourself. And the simplicity of the offense mixed with sort of the uh, the the decisions that the defense has to make, that's what it looks like. It looks like an offense that makes the defense freeze and that the offense runs consistently every play. Right. It is not everybody stacking in front of the first down marker because Charlie Brewer can't isn't going to throw deep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know who's going to really benefit from just – gestures broadly at everything right uh taekwon thornton yeah that's a good point one of the fastest players in the big 12 uh who ran a lot of curls it's like that it's that guy it's like when you were playing a a street ball with your friends and you had that one fast friend who ran like 40 yards you're like i can't just just come back i can't (laughs) make it a pose make it yeah i cannot throw that far i'm 12 like get back here there's no chance there's absolutely no chance absolutely no chance yeah so and I do think that all this stuff is realistic to some extent in year one, right? Yeah, yeah. They don't need to be awesome. I mean, this was a team that in 2019 played okay offense, and mm-hmm. the defense was just really good, right. and they kind of were able to survive. Uh, I think this offense will look more cohesive. Yards per play, they're probably going to be only okay. Uh, the running backs, I do believe, are a lot better than what they've been allowed to be the last couple of years. And I think a testament to that is the fact that John Lovett got picked up by Penn State. Because they're like, why aren't you running good plays with this player? Right. <laughs> why not let him be awesome? Yeah. And this offense hasn't let them do that. So I do think that there's more personnel than it's looked the past couple of years. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Who knows? All right. I will I will close this out on the defensive side of the ball. Yes. Go for it. Because this is a Dave Aranda team. Yep. I think this is a very good defense. So that is actually my question. Out of the 12 FBS teams in Texas, and and we can also say among the 10 Big 12 teams as well, Mm -hmm. still existing Big 12 teams, (laughs) how good, like what is the upside for this defense? What's what's the maximum for this defense? Mm. I think the upside is, I mean, I would not be shocked if they're the best defense in the state. Mm. Like, I don't want to say by a, when I say by a wide margin, I don't want to be like, a valley. Yeah. I mean, I do want to mean A and M on the cover, right? I was about to say, yeah, 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 no, no, no. I think their ceiling is that though, because I think that, I mean, by the end of the year, TCU had arguably a top five linebacking core in the country, mm-hmm. right? I think they're by far the best linebacking core in the state. It wouldn't shock me. And again, I'm not expecting the 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 front four and the the, the back the back uh, back end to be elevated to that level. But when you have that anchor. Right, and you have somebody like David Randa pulling the strings. It wouldn't stun me if this team, if this defense, you know, another year or two under him, a, a finally a full off season under him, really gets it together and really st- shines to be, you know, the best or second best def- defense in the state. In the state, because again, to me, they're just they're competing with A and M. A and M's above, right? And they're kind of competing with TCU to be that mm-hmm. team, the unit that kind of elevates their play. It wouldn't shock me if by the end of the year we're like, man, they're right there with A&M, aren't they? Like, they're right there. They may be one step below or whatever. I don't they know. also have 10 returning starters on that <laughs> yeah. defense, which and is exactly. a big key, Yes, too, yes. 100%. Well. Full offseason, 10 returning starters. Dave Miranda pulling the strings. You have you have that elite unit and linebacker. It's all the right reasons as to why they should be one of the best defenses. And so I'll, I'll follow up with this. Is there a position group or mm. a guy or a factor just yeah. in general – that will make or break whether that's the case. I think I could I could do a more pass rush. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Um, 
because when you looked at that 2019, you know, you had somebody like Lynch kind of anchoring that and kind of making things uh, both in the run game and the pass game kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. I think that's the unit that if they can find that, then that defense goes to another level. Mm-hmm. If they don't have that, I don't want to say they get worse or stagnate, but they probably stagnate around pretty good. Yeah. But not where they could be because I think that's what that's they're pretty average, I'd say, maybe even slot ticking below average in terms of pass rush right now. Yeah, so I'd say so. Um I'd say that's the side of the ball. That that side of the ball. Yeah, and I think the thing that's interesting is that you bring in Siaki Ika at nose tackle, mm-hmm. right? This is this is a guy who's just a game breaker that they haven't had I mean well I guess I haven't had in one year since Bravion Roy was also on campus, right? right? But you see the way that having that kind of guy frees up pass rushers. And the other thing, too, with Dave Aranda defenses specifically is that they do get everybody involved in the pass rush. Mm -hmm. And so bringing back Terrell Bernard, bringing back Jalen Petrie, now you you do need it from Gabe Hall at defensive end. You do need it from Garmin Randolph, who's going to be playing that jack kind of rusher position. Like, you do need it from those guys as well. But Mm -hmm. the fact that you have dynamic players at every position, I think, is the thing that has to give you optimism. And the other thing, too, is that in terms of – I was having this conversation with somebody the other day about Iowa State. I I feel like the thing that probably needs to excite you about Baylor, if things pan out, Mm -hmm. is that they're solid everywhere, right? They don't have a weakness necessarily on defense. And they also, I feel like, at every level have, like, a guy. Sure. You know, I mean, they have two guys, uh, you know, depending on how you want to how you want to define the linebacker position. Right. Mm-hmm. But like on the back end, you've got Jalen Petrie mixed with Raleigh Tejada, who's one of the most solid cornerbacks in, in the state. Mm-hmm. At the linebacker spot, you've got Terrell Bernard, who we named our best linebacker in the state. And so it does come down to if Siaki Ika is as good as everybody seems to think he can be. Well, then you got a playmaker there mixed with a couple guys who are going to be juniors this year who have played well and need to be more. So that's the key to me for a good defense is having a playmaker at Mm -hmm. every single level of the field. And that is the thing that I feel like Baylor might have. Sure. I think so. A little bit more to that point. I was looking at Baylor's defensive line stats last year. Yeah. And the one place where they really got hurt. So I'm going to rattle. They were actually pretty okay in standard down sack rate. They were 15th in the the country. Oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have expected that. Right. right. uh, Standard down pass rate. Yeah. But. Uh, let me see if it's actually sorry. Standard uh, standard down. Uh, I didn't know if I said that or standard passing down. Standard yeah. down pass rate. They yeah. were fifteenth. Yeah, sixtieth overall in sack rate. Where they lost was passing down sack rate. They were ninety seventh. They couldn't get to the quarterback in obvious passing situations, and that's where they hurt. And and the thing that I'd point to with that actually that makes a lot of sense is that those are plays where Jalen Petrie and Charles Bernard were playing coverage. Mm-hmm where they weren't getting after it with linebackers. Right. You know, and so... A lot more base. Right. And so, yeah, it does come down to you need Garmin Randolph to be that guy. You yeah. need Gabe Hall to be that guy. You need TJ Franklin to be that guy. You obviously would love to get a, an upfront pass rush from, from Ika. You know, so if one of those guys becomes a stud, mm-hmm. <laughs> just one of them, you don't need all of them to become studs, but yeah. if one of them is becomes a stud that you can play off of, I mean, yeah, I... I'm trying not to get too excited about this defense <laughs> because at the same time, right, the offense needs to come along to the point where they can actually play well. Sure, sure. But there's just so much to like. I was about to say, you no, know, like uh, if coming off of 2019, like there was a, there was, you know, there was reason it should have fell back a bit last year. And like it did, but like from the standard of 2019, it wasn't a bad defense. No. And so I think if you're somebody who was a little bit wary on David Randa, I think you're a little bit more bought in because like, okay, I see what he's doing on that side of the ball. I see why he was brought in to kind of maintain what they had going there. And, you know, with 10 returning starters back, I don't see why it can't be even better and why you shouldn't expect improvement. No question about it. Well, between the two things, okay, so so Baylor, they're trying to make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. TCU, they're trying to make the Big 12 title game. Yes. Which do you think is more realistic this upcoming season? <sighs> I guess we're just going to start doing this now, right? Just, yeah. just going yeah. head-to-head Might with well. everybody. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, I'm going to look at quick look at Baylor's schedule. Yeah. I think mm. I would probably go with Baylor yeah. in a bowl game. Yeah. I I'd, feel like – I'd I go f- with Baylor. I yeah. just think it's an easier road. Right. That's That was the thing for me because, I mean, not to get too much into this, right? Baylor went 2-7 and seven last year. Mm-hmm. If you played three non-conference games, like that's – that's four or five, right? And so I they weren't very good. I think that by the end of the year, they were kind of a disaster. But sure. but at the same time, it's like, okay, so you're talking 
get from four or five to six. Right. And like, I mean, like, I'll just rattle off the wins. Yeah. Right? So, Texas Southern, Kansas, Texas State, Texas Tech, right? Four. Right. Well, that Texas Tech game might get interesting. Fair. Um, I think they should be favored. Uh, let's put it that way. Okay. Um, so Al- also, I heard that uh, that Texas State might beat Baylor, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is in the, the, the zoo of uh, Bobcat Stadium, so we'll see. Um, <laughs> so uh, those four, right? Let's say they're favored when those four. Sure. You got to win against a revamped BYU, right? This isn't last year's BYU. No. Kansas State, West Virginia. I think those are I, all three winnable. I think those are those are three winnable. You got to win two of those basically, yeah. and you're good. Like, you know, that's doable. As opposed to TCU, which you know, okay, let's say Duquesne, Kansas, SMU, Cal, Baylor, Tech, Kansas State, seven. Then you got to be West Virginia, Texas, mm, Oklahoma that, State, yeah. uh, Iowa State. Uh, like, <laughs> it gets a lot more chippy when you go to mm-hmm. when you're looking for four when you're potentially looking for three wins out of West Virginia, Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State. Right. It is funny because I do feel like the the question almost comes down to, okay, what's more likely that TCU goes on the road to beat Iowa State or yeah. that Baylor beats Texas Tech, and which is a weird question. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a really <laughs> I'd weird. I'd say it's or is it Baylor beats West Virginia? Is yeah. I mean, I'd, yeah. I'd say I'd say I don't know. I, I think that Tech is about similar level. Um, I think they're a little bit low, but a little bit below Baylor. I think West Virginia, actually, let me reverse that. Yes, I think Tech's a little bit below Baylor. I think West Virginia is a little bit more around where Baylor is projected. So I think I would count that game as a toss-up. And so sure. I think it's more of, just, is it more likely TC beats Iowa State or does, is it more likely that Baylor beats West Virginia? And I will say, I do think that this iteration of Baylor has the upside to get somebody, right? Yeah. Like, I do think that, like, like last year – they played Oklahoma so well, and it was like, this is obviously it was like, why, is this, why is this happening? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you're just like, obviously. Come on. <laughs> we, they're not going to win this game. They can't score enough points, right? right? And, like, I'm not saying Oklahoma. They're not going to beat Oklahoma. Sure. But, like, if you're playing Oklahoma State, well, it's in Stillwater. It's not ideal, but, like, <laughs> it's not crazy. Right. Right? Like, I mean, you get uh, you get some of these teams at home, which always helps. Uh, you know, I, I – I, It'll be interesting. You'll you'll get a very angry uh, Halloween Eve night game against Texas, where everybody's like, "You jerks are leaving the conference." Right. <laughs> you know, it's gonna be fun. I don't know. I I feel like I feel like for both of these teams, Baylor and TCU, that's that's I think gonna be the thing that'll be nice this year is that both of them will be fun. Yeah. And there'll be a lot of toss up games, and I think that TCU is good enough to win those toss up games, and who knows if Baylor is, but we get to figure out right? <laughs> it's not going to be last year where it was just it's just painful to watch them right I, I do think that that part's going to be a little bit better but you know you can always uh one that goes bad and they go three and nine you can clip that portion and, and just play it back for people, <laughs> yeah <so>. yeah <laughs> fun times anyway Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Again, you can find all of our work at sexfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Become a subscriber, texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Now's a great time to become a subscriber. Get the magazine mailed directly to your house. By the way, I just started my basketball content. Yeah, that's so a thing that's, that's happening. <laughs> it's, that, that's something that I have to do in August as yep. well, right? So uh, so make sure and keep an eye out for that. Follow us on, on our basketball Twitter. That's at DCT Basketball, right? I got that right? Yes. And find content over at TexasBasketball.com. We'll have previews of everybody. Listen, hey, I know that we'll probably get some Baylor people listening to this. I mean, come on. We're going to get a Baylor preview in there, right? It's like... Do you not want that? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't call it last year or anything. Come on now. Come on. Come on. We can put them on the cover. Yeah. Uh, you know, TC, they'll be there too. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much to everybody for joining us. For Ishmael Johnson, for Mallory Hartley, I'm Shahan Jaraja. We will talk to you guys again next week.